As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest edition of Take It or Leave It. The rules are simple, listener. You send us your soccer hot takes and we decide whether we're going to take them or leave them. Today we've got some spicy opinions on the location of the 2026 World Cup final, multi-club ownership in Major League Soccer and meat pies at games. Graham Ruthven's listening. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me, in addition to Graham Ruthven, it's Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello, my friend. Uh, I am excited interested for this episode because I have answers for all of these, but I think I am most open to being swayed about every single one of them that I've ever been for a Take It or Leave It episode. Okay, so you're on the fence today. Pretty much. Like yeah. Pretty much. I'm starting just, it out lukewarm. Did you just invent a word, excited, interested, by the way? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a hyphen, I think. It's a hyphen. Yeah, <laughs> It is now. Graham Ruffin, how are you? I'm good, Ryan Bailey. I am excited, interested about the, the footy scran take that we'll be addressing mm-hmm. later on. That's that, that has one with my name written all over it. Very nice. It does indeed. It's just for you, G. And I'm excited, interested to tell the listener about Patreon. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show is where you'll find our bonus content. It is the best way to support us in our endeavours to bring you daily soccer podcasts. On the Patreon, we have bonus content, including videos, including bonus podcasts. And of course, access to our Discord, where all the cool kids are hanging out. Taylor, if you look at the cool kids index in Mm -hmm. Discord, it's pretty high. I think you'll find (laughs) And I'm somewhere in the middle, somewhere to the bottom. Well, I Jeff like... Lowry is top. Yeah, of, of course. course. Uh, of course. Again, <laughs> Jeff Lowry's top, but us three. Jeff top and also second, I think. He's got the top two spots. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. If you want to know what that's about, join the Patreon listener. Uh, I've, had, I've had two different people in recent days say, like, are you deliberately mispronouncing his name? Are you doing that on purpose? <laughs> I feel like... I feel like maybe the Jeff Lowry uh, thing is something known only to a few, but that's fine. We'll keep it that way. His legend is known to a few, but admired by many. There we go. That's what we say. Okay. Uh, Take it or leave it then. Let's get into it, shall we, boys? Our first take is from Cooper. Cooper's in the Discord. Join him. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. All right, I'll stop saying that now. Uh, Cooper says, both clubs in MLS's largest market, which is New York City, are being owned by multi-club conglomerates, i.e. Red Bull and City Football Group. That is bad for MLS 
and the clubs standing within it. Uh, what do we think? I, I suppose there's a Taylor. There's there's a couple of questions here. Is are we saying multi-club ownership in its essence is bad, or that it's specifically bad for Major League Soccer in its largest market? Hmm. Uh, I don't think multi-club ownership is necessarily bad. I know that puts me in the minority on this episode. I do think for purposes of Major League Soccer, it is not particularly good. Before I go further into that, I will say, for people who are new to this one, take it or leave it. We get takes from uh, listeners. These are their hot takes that we have to agree or disagree with and explain why. And for this one, I am taking it. I think I agree with it. Because though we have bad... New York NFL teams, we have bad uh, NBA teams. Uh, last season, both uh, Yankees and Mets were bad. Islanders and Rangers are intermittently good and intermittently bad. It's not like uncommon for New York teams to not necessarily be at the top of like the sporting hierarchy. But I think for Major League Soccer purposes, you look at something like El Trafico and how much that tends to be appointment viewing, how much people get excited about it. And I think a lot of that is the market. It's the history of the teams, one Farrell. longer than the other, and then it's the uh, it's the names of the players that you're going to have in there. It, you're usually going to have some stars play against some other stars. I don't think that is the case when NYCFC plays the Red Bulls, and I think there are myriad reasons for that, including that one has a stadium in New Jersey, one does not yet have a stadium. Both, I think, don't have aspirations to be one of those top-spending teams that signs those huge names. They have both pursued designated players at various points in their history, and I think the Red Bulls were probably their most exciting when they had Thierry Henry, when they had that huge name that made you want to keep watching them, made you keep turning, tuning into them. And I think NYCFC have had really good DP signings, but at the same time, I don't know how many of them have been truly household names since, like David Villa and Frank Lampard and, and Andre Pirlo, but those didn't really work out like to the level that maybe they had hoped they would. So I think... It does lead to a situation in which you have two New York teams that don't feel like they are really trying to push that envelope the way maybe you get with the L.A. franchises, the way we're getting with Inter-Miami now. And I think that does hurt because I think you want eyes on New York. You want people to be casually aware of what's going on with New York teams. And I think it's a city that people abroad know about and might be interested in. The time zone is certainly better for people who want to watch in England and in Europe. So I think it does probably hurt the league overall that those two teams aren't really aspiring to that top level and i do think that's because they are part of a conglomerate well taylor i suppose it's because they're a smaller part of those respective yes, conglomerates, exactly. right yeah. that's mm-hmm. the issue if they were the if they were the man cities if they were the rb leipzig of mm-hmm. those respective groups then it would be a different story yeah. it's because they are the the bottom rung or one of the, the lower rungs mm-hmm. of those yeah. groups that's that's what we're getting at right if they're a rung at all to some extent it it feels at times i think mycfc has more of a connection we've seen players move around Red Bulls, like we t- Joe and I talked about this with David Goss on Tuesday, that maybe Emil Forsberg coming is a sign that we're going to get more connectivity between the organizations, but it doesn't feel like we've had as much of that. And, and I think that is, that is part of it. And I think part of that is because you don't have promotion relegation. There's sort of an awareness that no matter what, these teams are going to be around. They're going to be in MLS. So we can spend some. We yeah. don't have to break the bank and, and we'll be just fine. I'm just envisaging like a bill coming through the letterbox in Leipzig for the Re- the New York Red Bulls, and they're like, "We've still got that club out in America." <laughs> oh, that's, that, that, like, that's... They have on their Rocket Money account. That's right. I still follow yeah. Rocket Money. Uh, they're like, "Wait, what? We're still paying for this every month? Oh, we gotta get rid. We gotta get rid." <laughs> yeah, yeah, slightly better with NYCFC. It feels like City Football Group haven't completely forgotten that they own that club. I am also uh, taking this one, Taylor, but I think maybe for slightly different reasons so in my opinion on on multi-club ownership groups i've aired on the show already in general my opinion is it's not a positive one 
I think they are, yeah, I'm a big fan of them. I think they're a threat to the sport, frankly. And I think there can be a sporting benefit. And that is a benefit that NYCFC have had in the past. And maybe with Forsberg joining now, the Red Bulls have had a bit of a benefit from that as well. Um, but my primary gripe with these groups is that they erode the, the identity of the clubs that, that aren't at the top of the food chain. So if you look at the clubs in MLS that have strong a strong identity and have really taken root in their community, we're talking about FC Cincinnati, Portland, Seattle, Atlanta, Columbus, LAFC, who interestingly are now part of a multi-club ownership group, but they're at the top of that food chain. They've bought a team in uh, in Switzerland, I believe. I uh, can't remember. Is it Grasshoppers that they've bought recently in the last couple of weeks? But they're sitting at the top of that food chain. So if I look at those uh, th- those community clubs, they're, they're, they're a true reflection of their fans in a way that a club and a multi-club group can never be, in my opinion, because they're having to serve this other thing that isn't linked to the community. In fact, community is kind of the antithesis of what these ownership groups want to do. Mm. They want globalization. So I do think NYC is a, is a difficult sports market, but there's no doubt in my mind that the league would be stronger, those clubs would be stronger if they had a better chance of creating their own distinct identity and kind of take root in their community. And look, NYCFC might be able to do that once they open this new stadium that apparently is coming somewhere down the line. Um, but the Red Bulls at this point, they truly feel like a satellite club of the of the, the German and Austrian Red Bull teams. Yeah, I was I was going to leave it, Graham, but for the reasons you outlined, essentially, because I thought it's not as important that they're part of a group. It's that they are not as entrenched in their communities as Taylor saying the, the Los Angeles clubs are. They don't have those identities. They don't have those stadiums, uh, or at least one of them doesn't have one in actual New York. So... I don't know whether to take it or leave it because I'm not sure whether it's the actual multi-club status or it's the fact that they haven't made a concerted effort or they aren't as entrenched in the community, which is the issue. The word that I just keep coming back to is identity. I, I just don't know. Look, if Manchester City were get, were to give NYCFC a complete blank canvas, slate, whatever, to build their own identity on top of, then then maybe they would be able to do that. But they haven't done that. It's New York City, and they play in Sky Blue, and there are connections with Manchester City. Then, as I say, at, at, at its core, the function is to serve the larger pipeline and ultimately serve Manchester City at the top of that food chain. I just don't really know if you can create a distinct identity and culture while having to do that. Yeah. Can we all agree the bad thing for MLS is that this team is still playing in a baseball stadium? as well unbelievable it's honestly yeah. one of the most How been? embarrassing things for the league and <laughs> and back in the days when sky had the the mls contract over here for the reason that ta- the, the reasons that taylor talked about the good time zone the fact that they're linked to manchester city so maybe some premier league fans are naturally gravitate towards them sky would always pick nycfc home games played on the baseball field with sometimes with the net in front of the camera Mm. Uh, i remember that one playoff game where we all watched it through a net i just can't believe that it's it's i was at nycfc's first ever mls game coincidentally in orlando and i can't believe what was that like 10 years ago it it was a while ago i can't believe they're still playing in that stadium and it really does like I can believe it because it's hard to build in New York. It's hard to get everything together to be able to afford the real estate unless you're Robert De Niro and you own all of Tribeca somehow. Uh, But short of that, uh, I think it is difficult to make happen. At the same time, Graham, to like the point that I think you all have made, is there any chance Manchester City would play in that stadium if they were in a similar situation? Like I I do think there are standards for MLS that are not going to be the standards for Man City, maybe even for Girona. And I think the same goes for, for Leipzig and for Salzburg versus uh, Red Bull New York. 
And I think that is a very frustrating thing that like you look at how, I mean, this is obviously very recent history, but Girona like competing in La Liga, Manchester City, obviously quite competitive in the Premier League. You look at Red Bulls where like Leipzig is usually around the top four uh, in Salzburg. They're usually winning the league. You wouldn't say the same of either New York franchise. And I think that right there shows you where they are on the totem pole. But it also shows that lack of endeavor, that the lack of motivation to continue to achieve, to continue to push the sport forward and push their teams forward. And we're still talking about a New York team that is in NYCFC won MLS Cup relatively recently. So it's not to say that they haven't had success. I don't want that to sound like they've just been failures from the jump. They certainly haven't been. But for the resources they have, for the market they operate within, that they haven't had more resonance, that they aren't two of the leading franchises in Major League Soccer, is, I think, a negative for the league. Indeed. All right, our next hot take comes from Twitter, from Ted Lasso's Barmy Army. Excellent handle. The penalty spot kick should be moved back a yard, maybe even two yards. A penalty kick has no business being worth 0.76 XG in a sport where matches average about 2.8 goals per game. Graham, I'm taking it. I like I like this. I think penalties, even though they are missed quite often, they're mm-hmm. a bit too automatic. They're a field goal in terms of a bit too automatic in many respects. So moving it back... Quite often, I think the punishment doesn't fit the crime for a penalty. Yeah. Like a trip on the outside of the box doesn't deserve a 0.76 XG shot. So moving it back for me, win. So I certainly agree with your latter statement there. I agree that something needs to be done about the reward of uh, a penalty for things that don't really warrant such a clear sight of goal. I know Joe, uh, Joe's train of thought is, is also similar. That often, as you say there, Ryan, uh, similar... Uh, uh, term in my notes here the punishment doesn't fit the crime a lot of the times when it's a, a ball brushing off an arm 16 yards out from goal and then the attacking team gets an unopposed shot for, on goal from 12 yards um, it doesn't really feel if we if we boil it down the rules down of, of soccer to I don't know like maintaining fairness within the game is I suppose what the rules are there to do that doesn't really feel fair having said all that I don't think I'm taking this one I think I would need to know the XG value of an unopposed shot from 14 yards out um, because, well, I couldn't find that in, uh, on, online. I couldn't work it out for myself either because I don't have an expected goals uh, model to hand to send that algorithm to work on. Um, I would expect there'd be some kind of drop-off, but maybe the XG would still be too much for some of the fouls or handballs we see penalties given for. So I'm not taking this. But I wanted to start a discussion on how we can change the handball rule primarily. So I propose that handballs only result in penalties inside the six-yard box. And if it's a handball between the six-yard line or the lines of the six-yard box and the 18-yard lines for the 18-yard box, it's an indirect free kick. <laughs> Graham, Graham, I don't chaos. like you You're bringing another take into the hot take here, by the way. You're splintering here. Well, that's what okay. I'm going to do. Is anyone going to stop me? No, I don't think so. So I'm this not. is my solution. Uh, you probably need some sort of caveat for deliberate handballs, but uh, I think oh, I'm okay good. with that. More the, nuance. Yeah, that's what football needs, is more yeah. nuance around the handball, the handball law. I oh, think dear. this would work. Obviously, it's a lot, you know, I think obviously it feels like I'm adding uh, complexity to the law. But keep in mind, I'm taking away all the rest of it. So this is all that would be there with handballs. Okay. How about we just make the rule, let's all just have fun. If it's a handball, just, it's a handball. Or just chop off the arms of every professional soccer player. Problem solved. That's very true. All right. 
Taylor taking it or leaving it? The uh, the penalty move being moved back, not the chopping off of arms. I mean, with Graham's system, I think goalkeeping is going to get real interesting real quick. <laughs> uh, I am leaving this one as well. I like penalties. I like how goals change the nature of the game. And I love shootouts. I think that's a controversial thing, or that seems to be a, a take that most people disagree with. Ah, oh, it's so harsh. It's so unfair. Penalties are the worst way to decide a game. They're the best way to decide a game. Get out of here. I love a shootout. Obviously, with the diagramming, you all knew that. But <laughs> I, I think it is. like the, What do you like? Short of having extra time just last forever and you take off players, I've advocated for that in the past. I, I like shootouts. I like penalties. I think they make the game more interesting. I think goals make the game more interesting. And so I hear where you guys are coming from, that when a player is dribbling away from the goal and gets a little bit of a clip in the box and falls down outside of the box, but contact occurred inside, so it's a penalty, that does feel harsh. But at the same time, don't make the ref make a mistake if you're a defender, or don't make them make a decision, rather, if you're a defender. So I, I think... It, it creates enough interest in the game or interesting talking points in the game that I think it's it's worth having them be an extra point, even though I would argue they're also not because we've seen plenty of players miss plenty of penalties and that itself creates narrative and drama. Okay, so some divisive hot takes so far. The divide being I've disagreed with Taylor and Graham on both of the takes so far. Well, Graham's partially agreed with you, but then also added in five new rules. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not entirely sure uh, where I stand with this one. Um, Taylor, do you know what's better than a penalty? An indirect free kick from inside the box oh, where they you are just good. batter the ball into the, into the wall. That's better. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourite goals of all time was Alan Shearer for England when I think it was like five or four yards out yeah. and he hit it at like 200 miles yeah. an hour into the roof of the net. It yeah. was glorious. And the inevitable like uh, double reset where everybody goes charging forward and the referee has to push them all back onto the line because everybody wants to be off to block the indirect kick. Uh, if we had to choose between move the ball back one yard or two yards for a penalty kick or have it start at the top of the D and you can dribble in and everybody can uh, chase you down and pursue you a la indoor rules, uh, how would we feel about that one? Wait, if it was a everybody moving... can chase you down. Like the, the outfield players can chase yeah. you down. Yeah, so... I think you'd have to do it like if the player starts at the top of the D and then the rest of the players all start at like the the bottom of the circle, basically at the center circle. So you're like maybe 30 yards apart so they can sprint and try to close you down if you take too long and they have to get there fast enough to clear any rebounds. But yeah, I like the indoor approach to this one, That's- the dribble in penalty. That also adds a little bit of uh, pursuing drama behind it. Taylor, that pursuing drama is just going to create more penalties. Definitely. I mean, it doesn't in indoor, although sometimes it does. <laughs> if you uh, bring that rule in, Kylian Mbappe, his price is going to be yeah. an extra one hundred million. Just like having him on the starting line, like the road runner chasing down these yeah. players running into the box. There is that. There is Guys, that. We have forgotten one of the more recent rule changes in the game. Ivan Tony reminded us that you're allowed a yard either oh, way on that's free right. kicks. So you, technically, we can actually move it forward one yard or back one yard. According to Ivan Tony's rules, he could just move move the spot. But you, but you have to be able to move the foam that's laid down. So is he yeah. just like excavating the, the penalty <laughs> dot and moving it forward two yards? What are you, it's got what a are shovel. you doing, Ivan Tony? I'm just getting my shovel. Two seconds. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Real quick. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll go pitchfork. Okay, good stuff. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for those takes. We're going to take a quick break when we come back sorry ryan i should have added a shovel is what um poor people use to dig things i know you (laughs) just hire people to do it so i know that can be a little bit confusing which i'm assuming is why you went pitchfork instead of shovel oh it sounds grotesque taylor (laughs) i hate it i hate it uh let's take a break when we come back plenty more hot takes back shortly looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Take It or Leave It. We go now to Madler09, who's contacted us with a take via our Discord, patreon.com slash Show. Madler09 says, Jared Bowen should start for England at the Euros. Now, Graham, our friend Jared Bowen has played for England a few times probably over the last year or so. He's in very good form, or very good yep. form for West Ham at least. <laughs> I am tempted to take it. I think he's, he's, he's on the plane for me. But yep. who does he replace? Who does he start ahead of? Is it Saka? Is it Foden? Is it... Oh, yeah. Is it, is it Rashford? Do we invert him to the left and it's Rashford? Is that the solution? Is it Kane? So, Start him up top? Harry yeah. Kane hasn't done much. Let's get him out of there. Well, Jared Bowen has been playing through the middle for West Ham recently, so it's not off the table that he could uh, be a centre forward for England at the Euros. I'm going to set the table a bit for this one before I give you my uh, take it or leave it, Ryan. So Jared Bowen, he has 11 goals in the Premier League for West Ham this season. That puts him only behind uh, Haaland, Salah, Solanke and Son for goals this season. So he's having an excellent season and he had a decent season last year as well. And he is right up there with some of the most productive English players. Uh, and he's doing it for a team at a slightly lower level. Although West Ham are pretty strong at the moment, to be fair to them. But he's not playing for Manchester City or, or Liverpool or anyone like that. So I don't think this is the most outrageous shout in the world. And I agree with you, Ryan. He probably should be on the plane to Germany um, this summer. But I'm not taking it for the reasons that you sort of outlined. You go through that England attack. I'm not entirely sure who he is um, starting in the place of. So I think he could be really useful late on in games against tiring defences and having him in matches where England maybe have to play on the counter. Um, I'd certainly want Jared Bowen as an option on in those matches. But there is a lot of competition in those attacking positions for, for, for England right now. Kane is nailed on as the centre forward. I think Saka is nailed on as the right winger for now anyway. The left wing position is a little bit more up for grabs, but you've still got Jack Grealish and Phil Foden and, and Marcus Rashford, and considering England will probably have more of the ball in, in most matches they play, I think Grealish and Foden are, are top of the left wing pecking order for me. Um, I'd probably have, if we're talking about the left wing, so Bowen does primarily play on the right, but he can play on the left, I might have Jared Bowen over Marcus Rashford in the squad right now, because obviously he, yeah. Marcus Rashford doesn't seem to be in a particularly good place right now, on and off the pitch, but in terms of starting for England at the Euros, I am leaving this one. Yeah, I, I to be clear, I'll leave it as well, Graham. I think you're quite right. A 70th minute kind of impact player is where I could see Jared Bowen having a good role in this England team. Although I think he's romantically involved with Danny Dyer's daughter. Yes. So like, who's maybe also called of, Danny Dyer. <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. Yes. Which is very confusing. Uh, but we need we need him on the plane so that he can bring over, you know, sort of the fan contingent that he might attract. Danny Dyer. Do we want that? I'm not sure we want. That. I don't think I, you want that. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing as little as I do about Danny Dyer. Uh, the the senior Danny Dyer. I don't yeah. I don't think you want yeah. uh, the football factory following you around. 
Danny Dyer checking in for his flight to to Munich, and that what's this? What's this, sir? That's just my my plastic chair that I'm bringing with me to to, to, to throw at people. Do you think he checks in wearing a shirt, or just or just body paint? We'll find just out. Tattoos, is that, I think. Is that? Uh, uh, I have very little to add about Jared Bowen, so I have more questions about Danny Dyer. Is that like a thing where he has just embraced that as his persona, or yeah. was that his actual persona all along? Danny Dyer. So, yeah. um, if if uh, if listener wants a, a little sample of Danny Dyer's oeuvre on Netflix, mm. there is a quiz called Cheat, where you have to sort of bluff your way through answers. He is a co-host of that, along with um, a comedian, a comedian who's on Ted Lasso. Um, it's very good. It's very funny. But he's like he's doing all Danny Dyer things, all Cockney things. I recommend it if you want to know what he's about. Oh, yeah. Basically, he's leaned I'd into it, that. Taylor. There, there used to be a current affairs uh, evening show in the, in oh. the UK, which I know is a, I yeah. know is a, yeah. a common thing in the US, but isn't particularly common in the UK. And they used to just inv- they just invited Danny Dyer on every week so that he could call Boris Johnson <laughs> yeah. a mug every yeah. week. He's a <laughs> mug. He I think. Other words as well, which we yes. uh, mispronounce here in the United <laughs> States, apparently. Uh, but yes, I, I'm I'm familiar with that uh, line of work from him as well. Uh, so I say, yeah, Danny Dyer, let's have him around. Uh, Jared Bone, let's also have him around. But I I don't have him starting. I think it is interesting that like with the way the season has gone for Marcus Rashford, that there does seem to be more opportunity on the left than the right. Jared Bowen is left-footed. I, I don't know what Gary Southgate wants that position to be necessarily, if he wants it cutting inside and shooting with a right, if he just wants it to be possession, if you all have talked about. So maybe that's the area, but then we talk about Grealish, we talk about Foden, and then Rashford's still in that conversation. So I don't think it's a, a slam dunk necessarily. I don't think it's like a, as solid of a case as I would like for, to say I'm taking that he definitely should, but I think he definitely should be on that plane uh, at least this time, since he was so yeah. uh, frustrated that he was not on the plane to Qatar. He he gets a lot of credit for the way he's uh, kind of maximized his talent because he's someone who comes through the, the EFL. He was at Hull City, I believe, before getting the, the move to, to West Ham. So not someone you would say from a young age everyone looked at and thought he's going to be an England international. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of Jared Bowen and I love his game as well. I think I've talked about how my favorite kind of football is fast and furious counter, counter-attacking ball. Um, which bizarrely David Moyes now seems to be an advocate of. I don't know if I'm fully ready to accept that I like David Moyes' uh, views and style of play on football, <laughs> but that's where we're at in 2024. So yeah, definitely have him on the plane as an option. Wonderful stuff. All right, let's go to our next take from Shreyas in the Discord. Uh, the 2026 World Cup final should be played at the Rose Bowl. Throw all of the FIFA bidding process out of the window, says Shreyas. Uh, this is one, Taylor, where I would, I would love to take it, and every fibre of my being take wants me it, to take, take it for it, nostalgia reasons. It. Fine, I'll take it, but I know <laughs> ain't gone happen. Um, so, can we talk about this for a moment? Like, why is there such like nostalgia for the Rose Bowl? Like, I know what the Rose Bowl is. I know it hosted the 94 uh, World Cup. It has hosted many, many meaningful competitions. I am taking this as well, but... There does seem to be a love for the Rose Bowl that maybe is lost on me because I'm an East Coaster. I think for me, certainly, it is it is a bit of nostalgia, but it's like an open bowl. Uh-huh. It looks like a classic Coliseum-style yeah. stadium yeah. Okay. is what it is. It doesn't look like a, a modern Wembley or SoFi. It has that look and feel where you want a big sort mm. of gladiatorial it's, battle to happen. It's iconic. It's It yeah, has to be the sure. most iconic American stadium or certainly up there exactly. because if you showed me a picture of this of the rose bowl i'd know instantly what it is whereas like nfl stadium. stadiums 
kind of the, the a bit samey sometimes in some of their designs whereas the rose bowl yeah as i say it's got that iconography and then you kind of answered your own question taylor when asking why is it uh why is there nostalgia for it it's well it's because mm-hmm. it's hosted a world cup finals because it's hosted all these iconic games so you merge all those things together i think that's the answer yeah. but it does also have this weird mystique i think because of the rose bowl parade and the many many bowl games that have been played there it has this like like mythology to it that I do think connects for a lot of people. Maybe it's because I have not always been so big into college football uh, that maybe that's part of why I don't have that same love. Because I'm not even saying about you two. I'm saying, broadly speaking, people seem to have a love for the Rose Bowl in general life. Like, you know, you know when you go to the grocery store and everyone's talking about the Rose Bowl? We've all had that. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Um, no, but it's just, it is one that, like, this was an interesting question because I, I read a few different posts from people talking about how it definitely should be and we have to incorporate it. And it was just such a, a thing that people were passionately advocating for. I don't think I've ever felt that passionate about a stadium, but I do understand why people feel that way, I think. And I think the size also is pretty great. I think it's not even one of the largest in the u.s i think it's like the 16th largest in the world and like the eighth largest in the united states and the big house in michigan is probably the biggest but uh but i still think it's got the history it's got the size it does have that aesthetic so i will take this one i think fifa did visit it when they visited la i think they scoped it out for the the world cup and then the owners of sofi stadium were like yeah right you're playing here yeah yeah (laughs) people were like where are we going to place the hot tub sponsored by coors light Well, that one out. You, you get you, you, you touched get on the, the crux of the issue here, Graham, is that commercially it's much less viable than other options. There's more money making opportunities at the more modern stadiums. A lot of it is due to like suites and boxes where Sony and Coors Light can put yeah. their hot tubs, basically. So SoFi, I had a look at it. SoFi has 260 luxury suites with eight suite mm-hmm. concepts, all designed to cater convenience, personalization, and extraordinary fan experiences. Uh, I just that just came off the dome, by the way. Um, Dallas Arlington Stadium has. 300 suites. So 260 suites, 300 suites. The Rose yeah, Bowl. It's in Arlington. The Rose Bowl, Graham, 54 suites. That's fewer. That's than actually more two... than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> 54 is. is, is uh, yeah, but they're, they're made for... of twigs. They're built, they're like a treehouse, basically, <laughs> is the problem. So they're not quite up to <laughs> yeah. the standard of the others. So it, it, sadly, like most things, money is going to dictate this decision rather than. There are also other. Um, aspects or factors like media facilities yeah. and one of the things about Hamden that I know FIFA and UEFA really like is you can drive the there's like a tunnel for the bus to get into the dressing rooms without having to go through crowds I don't think there's any facilities like that at the at the Rose Bowl it's just in one big giant car park um, are, are Scottish crowds not hospitable Graham what, what, breaking <laughs> news here what <laughs> Yeah, we don't have a reputation for that at all or anything. It's not something that has been proven over decades and decades. (laughs) Uh, I've never been to the Rose Bowl, but obviously it's got got history. It's iconic. I don't want to offend any Texans here, but the World Cup final, it just can't take place in Arlington. That's not a thing that can happen. So at this point, you could pitch me on the 2026 final, like taking place in a local park in LA (laughs) or New York, and I would probably go for that. All right. We're settled then. Very good. Oh, Taylor, what was your take on that? Was it we leaving it or taking it? Uh, I was taking that one, but okay. I feel like I feel like Graham might hear from some people about his Texas take. It can take place in Texas, just not in Arlington. Wow. <laughs> Fair. Okay. So, I do always wonder about that scoreboard. I know I know Mexico plays there, El Tree plays there a lot, but that scoreboard hangs pretty low. If you get a big punt, I think we're going to run into some problems. Excuse you, a big what? Uh, anyway, um, the, I know, speaking of uh, a big punt, Chelsea played there um, a few years ago. Not, I remember John Terry always tried, like, they're having a pre-season 
a pre-match uh, competition mm. trying to hit it. And I think they hit it during the game as well, like just because one of the keepers wanted yep. to do it. And that is an issue, I suppose. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, some more hot takes around CONCACAF and around meat pies. Yum. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Tick It or Leave It. Here's a hot take from Twitter from Ivan Pineda, who says Club America is the biggest club in CONCACAF and no MLS team comes close, even with Lionel Messi at Inter Miami. Graham, are you taking, are you leaving? So CONCACAF have a ranking system for cl- for clubs as of last year, Ooh. and Club America are indeed top of that of that of that list at the moment. The top four places are all Liga Mekis teams, and then you have to go down to fifth place to get an MLS team. And it's not Inter Miami; it's uh, the Philadelphia Union. 
Inter Miami are twenty first in the Concacaf rankings right now. So the way that they work out the rankings is until they buy the, the sixth place spot. That is a thing that they're planning to do is to just actually <laughs> physically purchase the sixth spot on that list. They're buying six place six place on that list to get into the Club World Cup. That's yep. how it's gonna. Mm-hmm. That's how it's gonna work. Oh, you're um, familiar with wait- the plan. Cool. I, I didn't know you knew. Sorry. Thank you. Okay. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. I got that email. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're meant to talk about it though. Um, the way that they work out the rankings is they look at the results since 2017 in the CONCACAF Champions League, which I guess is now the Champions Cup, uh, regional cups, top flight leagues, so that'll be like Liga Mekis, MLS, domestic cups, and the Club World Cup. So it's a, it's a ranking based on soccer reasons, but that is, remember we talked about what makes a big club a couple of weeks ago? That was one circle of my Venn diagram, so I am taking that into account. If I'm looking at attendances, uh, Club America, they average between 35,000 and 40,000 uh, per home game over the last few seasons. That actually puts them behind Monterey and Tigres in Liga Mekis and quite a bit behind, if we're comparing it to MLS teams, quite a bit behind Atlanta United, who have been top for attendances uh, the last few seasons. Inter Miami were 24th in MLS last season for attendances, but that was largely... I'd imagine they would have sold more tickets, but they are currently playing matches in a car park, so that's a factor in uh, in that <laughs> statistic. Trying to quantify how many fans a club has is really, really difficult slash impossible. But I did find a study from 2012 which said Club America have 29.4 million fans in total around the world. That actually puts them behind Chivas in uh, Liga Mekis, who apparently have 33.8 million fans. I would be surprised if any MLS team came close to these sort of numbers, but I don't really have any statistical data to back that up. In terms of, um, like... I guess what this comes down to is weighing actual soccer fandom against pop culture relevance, if that's the right um, way to frame that. Because I think certainly Club America are bigger than Inter Miami in terms of um, attendances and match-going fans and people who, for them, Club America is central to their life and central to their identity. But then you look at the pop culture side of things because of Messi with Inter Miami. They've got three times the number of Instagram followers that Club America have and... um, I see Inter Miami right now in the UK. Inter Miami uh, Messi shirts are one of the most common shirts you see on kids kicking around. And I, I can't really recall ever seeing a Club America uh, shirt out and about. So, in conclusion, I've kind of just uh, laid all my thoughts on the table there. In conclusion, I might take the first part of Ivan's take that Club America might well be the biggest club in CONCACAF, but I'm not taking the second part because I think they're in there with a number of different candidates and you can kind of cut, cut the cake in a, in a lot of different ways. Wow. I did consult my friends at Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, and they agree that they're, they're leaving this one as well, Graham, just for the record. Just, <laughs> did they know. put that in their press release on sponsoring Inter Miami? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, Taylor, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm kind of dividing this question up too. Are we even saying that Inter Miami are the biggest team in MLS? I think right now we are. And I think that's like understanding why, Graham, the ranking system has them where they are is because they haven't had the success, but we expect them to have much more success this season. And I think there's a lot of hype around them. No, I I think there are certainly more successful MLS teams than Inter-Miami. I think there are also certainly bigger brand names than Inter-Miami up until recently. They might be the top one now, but, but I do think, to Graham's point, like if we separate soccer history from a moment and look at it purely as a lifestyle thing if marcus rashford is eventually leaving the premier league to go play in north america i don't think he's going to play in mexico city for club america i think he's probably going to miami or new york or los angeles and i think that is part of uh, of this it does sort of 
uh, hurt the argument a little bit. But with that said, I am definitely taking this one. I think it's a little closer than uh, uh, Ivan suggests, largely because I think Chivas are still somewhat close, though they haven't had the success recently. I think there's just still such an institution. They're such a known entity. They have the policy they do, but I've also had plenty of success. Graham talked about their fan base. But I think Club America, for the success they've had, most league titles, most uh, CCL or whatever it is now wins. Playing at the Azteca certainly helps a lot. I think it's probably the most famous soccer stadium in North America. No disrespect to the Rose Bowl. Uh, and then they've got uh, <laughs> names that have come through, like uh, Quantumac Blanco, like Guillermo Ochoa, to name just a couple. But there are plenty, plenty more who have come through the academy and have had Huge careers for both Club America and for the Mexican national team, um, and they continue to develop players. I think that they're not always going to be the immediate place that a player goes when they're looking to make a move to North America, but I still think right now, with the fan base they they have, with the social media impact they have, and with the on-field success they've had, I think they're the biggest team in North America. Very good. Uh, Graham, just to go back to those rankings, do they go down far enough to have Charlotte FC on them? Just just uh, asking for a friend. Uh... They probably will. If you fill for 20 seconds, I'll find them because I'm having to scroll a long way down. Hold on, okay, I'm just going to have to do the Google Chrome. Seconds. Uh, uh, so I'm assuming like, you know, Chivas, Tigres, Cruzazol, Club America, they're all 37th. very high. 37th? Wow. Yeah. In what metric is this? Uh, Money paid Conca to acquire Cass. them. <laughs> Magic beans <laughs> metric. I see. Wonderful. Graham, One the Graham forgive me. What was the top four? The top four mm-hmm. are Club America, Monterey, mm-hmm. Tigres, uh, Leon, and then that's when you get down to mm-hmm. Philly. Wow. There we yeah. go. There Empirical go. data answering the hot take there. Thank you very much, Ivan, for that hot take. One final one for this episode from Chief Arsenal. Chief Arsenal. Chief Arsenal on Twitter. Here we go, Graham. Here we go. Meat pies are superior to American stadium food. Uh, leaving it. Graham, you? <laughs> I'm not going to surprise anyone here, but meat pies are superior to American stadium food because meat pies are superior to all other kinds of foods. Uh, to me, the pie, I'm going to talk through my logic here. I've put some thought into this, right? The pie is the perfect stadium food vehicle because you can eat it with one hand, which is important because you're in a seat in a stadium. I've always wondered when I see things with cutlery, yeah. how do you eat that in a seat? Are pe- people I don't, putting Graham, that on... I, I, when I'm double, double fisting my hot dog, I, I, you know, <laughs> you can't use those one-handed, can you? Jesus, Graham, come on. <laughs> but like, you've seen things with cutlery, people getting uh, like, even burgers. I guess you're holding the plate with, with one hand and then with a burger, like... I'm confused as to what how... does the pie come in? It has Gra- to come Gra- what in. Are you, are you an infomercial actor right now? Like, how <laughs> does this thing work? Like, I'm I'm pretty sure you're familiar with hamburgers. Do, the pie, do they just throw so the pie I, at you? Does it not come in a receptacle of some kind? There's got so it comes... to be a better way. Just say it, Graham. <laughs> just say it. So there's not a, there's not a plate or anything when you get a, a pie. It's usually a little foil wrapper or a napkin that you get it in, and then all you do with Which those you must is drop just... on the floor. Well, yeah, a lot of people do that. But I tend to, at least the Sterling Albion home games where I feel bad about littering. Maybe at away games, I just drop it on the floor. But I, uh, you, you roll, roll it into a little ball and then you just stick it in your pocket. Can't do that with a big styrofoam plate that you get a lot of food on in American stadiums. Graham, if you will paint a picture for me, because this does mm-hmm. inform my answer. Describe the ideal scenario. You're in the stadium. What is the scenario when you're biting into that meat pie? Uh, hot, tasty. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, the environs around you? Is it nice that it's hot because it's cold outside? 
Uh, yeah. You see what I'm getting at here? Most of the, most I, of the time. Yeah. I agree with this take, except that like when it's 95 degrees and humid in D.C., I'm not sure I want a heavy meat pie. Like, mmm, <laughs> steak and potatoes when it's 90 degrees outside. With some boiling well, ginger ale. Genuine question, what would you have in that scenario? A pupusa. I think, which is not fully dissimilar from a meat pie. I, I know there are huge differences, but it is still a thing that you cook on a griddle that has meat and cheese in it, uh, ideally speaking. What's um, a pupusa, Taylor? It's a Salvadorian uh, uh, delicacy that you can get. Uh, not at, getting at that stolen Albion. <laughs> uh, and it may not be exclusively Salvadorian, but I, that's the ones that they have in D.C. And that's the ones I've eaten here. Uh, that That is probably my favorite one. It's a very similar thing. It's in the sense that it's like a thing you can eat with... Hold with one hand, eat. Things don't go everywhere. You don't need utensils yeah. and the like. You can get it for relatively cheap. But it is it is the heat. So then it becomes like, I don't know, ice cream? Ice cream might be it. Dippin' Dots might be this the the superior form of uh, stadium snack food. I think we can all agree. See, uh, Dippin' Dots are good. So I'll agree with that. Um, I, I'm all How for I get my daughter to go food. to soccer games. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm all for street food and different things and areas. Like, Ryan, remember when you did your Patreon video, the, the tour of, uh, of, of Plough Lane? And you, there's that little concourse area behind a stand, I presume, yep. that has the, the food trucks. I'm all for that because that's outside the bowl of the stadium. I presume there's places where you can kind of perch your plate or you can sit down or you have a drink or whatever. I know MLS, a lot of MLS MLS just standing going, I've got two hands. I only want to use one. How do I do this? <laughs> but once you're inside the bowl of the stadium, you simply cannot beat a pie. Like once you're in the seat, having something that is more than like a pie you can hold in one hand is just inconvenient. So my, my take on this, I'm leaving it, Graham, for reasons of self-preservation. I will... Generally, I had a, in that plow lane video, I had a pie and it was excellent, but I don't typically do that because generally speaking, I will avoid a meat product. I'll have like a plate. My ideal soccer experience, certainly in the UK, is a styrofoam plate of fries, of chips, because okay. there's less chance of me getting food poisoning from it. Whereas a pie or a burger made in a small sort of caravan. Um, <laughs> It increases the chances of Ryan being upset later that day. All the best food comes out of caravans. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, but like, so that's the UK experience for me. In the US, uh, the obvious answer is Bojangles. Uh, particularly yeah, well, I was, was going to ask about Bojangles, right? Because my experience of American stadium food is n- is not yeah. a good one. Uh, I went to, I've told this story before already, but uh, my wife and I went to a Jets game no. a number of years ago. Sorry. And we got, quote unquote, nachos at the game were they, they just were giving tickets away for free or how did you end up at a jets game so i decided to go for the jets over the giants because the jets are rubbish right yeah. they're the correct they're the worst <laughs> and hey, you, you identified with that they've got flash yeah, exactly. quarterback. what are you talking about i'm a scottish sterling albion fan of course i was going to go to the jets game over the giants um so anyway big, big nachos. Chad pennington guy graham ruffin i have no idea who that is <laughs> big chad energy so bought the nachos, ten dollars. They opened the bag of chips. They did a couple squishes of yeah. uh, runny cheese sauce in there and handed it over. My wife and I still remember that ten dollar nacho chips and cheese in a bag. Yeah. So I think that that is yeah. the thing with this question is if you want to make it very specific, American stadium food is that disgusting nacho combination. It's like a pretzel that used to be soft, but has been sitting in the stadium for two years and is now hard. Yeah. It's a hot dog. Maybe it's a sausage. But but I think. If we're talking generic stadium food, meat pie definitely wins. I think that's where stadiums have tried to expand and have different like individual local vendors and the like. But I'm not sure that fully qualifies. I think broadly speaking, a meat pie is the perfect conveyance of food interface uh, needed quickly so that you can get back to yeah. watching a game. That's a burger, and- isn't it, though, Taylor? 
I think, see, I agree with Graham. I think a burger can get too messy too quickly because you try to make yeah. it fancy, you add a bunch of stuff. Now the tomato's sliding out the back, the onion's sliding oh, out the back. there's an onion ring in here. Yeah. It's on my lap now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like a pie can crumble. It's, you know, some, they don't have all have the same fortitude as one another, Graham. Ryan, the other thing is, while I probably will defend British cuisine more than most or more than is fair... We are not good at making burgers, especially <laughs> at true. sporting events. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. That's That'll be the uh, self-preservation line I had earlier coming back because uh, they're, they're generally not very good in the UK. I'll give you that 100%. Taylor, one last question for you. Have you ever seen a meat pie on sale at any place in the US? No. I have. At Epcot. It was called a hand pie. Which <laughs> felt... There you go, case in point. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, like we have a New Zealand pie uh, place here in Richmond that's quite good, called Proper Pie. But in terms of just like walking through the concourse and like, oh, there's a, there's a meat pie. No, I think, I I think because broadly, maybe I'm wrong, but I think broadly speaking, if an American hears there's pie on sale, uh, they're going to be like, sure, apple, strawberry, yeah. what do we got going on? Yeah. And then when you find out it's steak and kidney or whatever uh maybe that's going to be less appealing or less broadly appealing not for me graham was was the pie at caught in like the uk bit was a little urchin come up to you guys oh i got the hand pie for your mouthy wealth it was mickey doing that accent yeah very nice wait graham (laughs) follow-up question i feel like i know the answer to this but i think one time when asked for my ideal uh, proper pie filling uh you responded with like oh that's kind of bougie or like kind of hipster or whatever so can you have like like just like a mcdonald's pie like is there a mass-produced sort of standard one steak and, and kidney, then you right? can get better ones steak and kidneys uh, is, is the yeah standard. definitely so not all pies are created equal okay um, there are some i have a feeling that the two of you would not be uh too satisfied with a scotch pie i feel like because i'm used to them i've just had them all my life i i accept them but scotch pies are a little bit like stodgy and a bit bland if we're being if i'm being honest but yeah you get pies in if i were to go down to the shop like the local co-op or whatever it's uh i forget the company that makes them but like mass you do get mass pies yeah actually ginsters is a good example ginsters you get them in every service station in the uk and they're terrible um so yeah not all pies are created equally and you get uh, uh, pasties as well which i all equally dislike uh, so that's what the hand pie was i bought the hand Uh... pie and i was like this is a pasty this isn't a pie Okay. There we go. All right, we're going too deep into. How do you uh, eat a scotch pie? I see, Graham. This is where it falls apart. Like, I look at a picture of a scotch pie. That feels like a lot of dough that you're not going to end up eating. And then now you've got this weird pile of half-consumed pie. What do you do with that? You throw so, it at players. See, I, I'm guessing. Throw it. Yeah. See, I disagree. <laughs> uh, scotch pies are a little bit different to English pies. I like English pies as well, but they're much more kind of like puff pastry style on top. Where Scottish pies are like this thinner, crispier pastry, which I think means you get more meat. But a scotch no. pie. I'll treat you to a scotch pie one day. I'm not anticipating rave reviews. Let's see this picture that you've... Yeah, no, I, I said it. That, that, looks, that looks not at all like like light and crispy and easy to eat. That looks like I'm eating a whole bunch of pie crust with a yeah. thin layer of meat in it. Taylor There's has just bit- uh, messaged a picture of some scotch pies to us, which looks like dog food inside pastry. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite accurate, actually. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, they're Graham's favorite thing. <laughs> Not scotch pies. I'll always gravitate towards a steak pie or something else. Mm. But if there's nothing else, I will have a scotch pie. 
What a ringing endorsement of Scotch Pies that is. Thank you very much, Graham. Thank you, Chief Arsenal, for that take. Thank you, everybody, for submitting your takes. Remember, you can do so via Twitter or X or whatever we want to call it, and also via our Discord. Uh, thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell, for indulging us with your wonderful opinions. Yes, yes. Thank you all as well. <laughs> Graham Rutherford, a pleasure to chat with you again, my good man. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, my good man. I don't know why I'm doing that accent. Listener, thank you very much for joining us. We will be back on the feed very shortly indeed. But for now, bye!